0: it's worth there is one thawed out cow tongue here for the highest bidder uh, which would be about the price of zero. So if anybody likes beef tongue it's free for the first uh, taker <laughs> i don't have the means to cook it where i'm at by now i don't think dale has a hot plate down there for me do you and connie doesn't want me cooking cow tongue down there tonight so <laughs> uh, i want to take a moment just to thank you for all your kindness to us um you've been very, treating us with great hospitality and kindness, and we really do appreciate that we feel that, and uh, want to thank you for that as well. My one word of testimony tonight here, Brian, is that you read uh, the verse that kind of is sort of my verse for this time of life. Uh, O God, you have taught me from my youth, and up to this point I have declared your wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed or old and bald-headed, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. So that verse is very special to me. It's a privilege that God has given to me to speak from his word. And before we get into his word tonight, I'll just invite you to stand, if you would like, and we'll sing a verse or two, maybe two verses of I'm pressing on the upward way. Uh, maybe we'll sing the first and last verse tonight. Uh, the last verse, I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory brights, but still I'll pray till heaven I've found, Lord, lead me on to higher ground. So first verse.
1: I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights i every day, still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord plant my feet on higher ground, Lord lift me up and let me stand, my faith on heaven's table land, a higher place. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height, And catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I'll pray till heaven I've found, Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table and a higher place I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Thank you. You may be seated. That singing
0: sounds really good. I like this nice big whiteboard, and I could hardly bear to have this thing sitting back here all week without being written on, so I'm going to take my liberties here tonight. The title of our message for this evening is... Revolutionary Ideology. Is everybody sleeping already? <laughs> now there is a. That's really a very simple concept, and some people don't like bigger words. But this is not to be too scary. Um, ideology. What is ideology? Did anybody help me out with that word? Study of ideas. Study of ideas. Okay, study of ideas. Are ideas important? Ideas are very important. All ideas have consequences. Good ideas have good repercussions. Bad ideas have horrible consequences. For example, a number of years ago, there was a man who lived by the name of Karl Marx. You might be familiar with him. He would be um, the guy that came up with the idea of Marxism, his Ideas are called Marxism and because of his bad ideas that he promoted there are millions of people in this world that have suffered terribly bad ideas have bad consequences and he was a man that did not have good ideas for his own life let alone anybody else's life and he lived somewhat like well he had a very broken life and we don't have to take it further than that when we talk about revolutionary ideology, I think that's what Karl Marx would have liked to say that he had. He wanted to have ideas that would change the world. And in his mind, it was ideas that would change the world for the better. Of course, it was for the worst. But not all revolutionary ideas need to be on that grand of a scale. And not all revolutions are bad. Because ideas can have good results as well as terrible consequences. And in our scripture tonight, there's going to be some revolutionary ideas presented. Ideas that will change your life if you take them to heart. If you decide to pattern your life after the ideas of the world, your life is going to look one way. If you decide to Pattern your life after God's ideas, your life is going to look totally different. And so ideas are very important. And John talks to us in 1 John 3 about things that we know. Matter of fact, in this chapter, he gives us five things that we know. And these are impressive ideas. But I want to think, first of all, about how you know what you know. Now, we send our children to school in order to learn. Because we start out with a very minute knowledge base. We don't know a lot. How to eat and how to cry and how to mess our diapers. And that is almost the extent of what we have when we get started. But we need to learn a lot because there's a large body of knowledge to be learned. And so... The one way that we learn... Well, let me do this. I'm going to give you two Greek words, not that you care about them at all. But the one Greek word is... you know, And that has to do with learning on the level of the mind. I know something because I can perceive it with my mind. And this is part of what your education is about when you go to school. Because I learn facts... And facts are important to know, whether you believe it or not. Your math facts, if you don't master your math facts, it's going to give you trouble throughout life. If you don't learn how to read properly, you're going to struggle with reading the rest of your life. And so these things that we learn by our mental training are very important. But there's also another way that you can learn, that is without even going to school... It happens if you have your eyes open. And that Greek word is oida. In other words, there's things that we learn by seeing. I have the opportunity to train men from time to time. I'm a service tech for Martin Water Conditioning. And so there's a lot of different pieces of equipment that I work on. A lot of them have very small parts in, they are not that difficult. Really, because I can fix them most of the time. But, almost every one of the guys have said to me without fail, I am glad that you're showing me how to do this. Because if I needed to read the manual and figure out from the service tech manual how to fix this, it wouldn't make any sense to me. And then you take it and you hold it in your hands and you take it apart and you put it back together. And then what do you say? Oh, now I see... Well, it's not that you saw it, but now you begin to understand. You can see, you have perceived with your eyes. And it's a different kind of a learning, but it's just as valuable and just as important. And so John uses both of these words here in 1 John chapter 3, having to do with how we grasp ideas. And some of it is simply things that we evaluate with our mind. Not all facts are straight up. In other words... Oh yeah, we never like when they mix language and math together because it gets confusing. Well, what's this going to be? Well, you know, this is how it is. You plug in the information that you do know and then you can actually figure out the things that you don't know. And this is somewhat what happens with, with the Bible too. Algebra really doesn't have anything to do with the Bible, but algebra teaches us how to think and take what we know to understand the things that we don't know. And this is how it works with the Bible sometimes. There are things that we can deduct as we read the Bible and say, oh, now I see. And so let's follow along as we look here in uh, 1 John chapter 3. And I just want to say this. um, Believing, when I say that I believe, that demands participation with what I know. In other words, the things up here have to have a connection with real life. Learning isn't just so we have information in our heads, but learning is so that it changes how I live. And this is how ideas can change the outcome of our life. And so we want to talk about five things that we know tonight. And if you know these things, it will definitely revolutionize your life. Let's start reading in... First John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Now, we're just going to pick out a few thoughts here tonight. There's way too many things to think about here in 1 John 3. But I want us to pause for a moment and just think about what's being said. Do you understand what kind of love that God the Father must have to love me do you understand what kind of love the father has that he loves you it's incredible because we as people are not all that lovely um it's a wonderful thing to think about we're not going to spend a lot of time on that verse except it does say at the end there this is why the world doesn't get us. This is why the world doesn't know us. We don't make sense because it didn't know Jesus. It didn't recognize Jesus when he came. They don't know God. And so that's why we look a little bit weird in the world's eyes. And that's, that's just okay. Because what we want to find is our acceptance from God and not, not just from the world. So verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Today, As a child of God, I'm his. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So the first thing, what is the first thing that we know? What does it tell us here in verse 2? What do we know? The love of the Father. Okay. And keep going down. We know that... Is this verse 2? We know that when He shall appear... Are we together there? We know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. There we go. We know that when Jesus comes back, we're going to be like him. What does that mean to you? Does that mean a physical appearance? That I'm going to look like these pictures of Jesus? I don't think so. But what does that mean to you to be like Jesus? I would like for us to just think about this a little bit. So I'm going to give you some references. I would like you to take the references and read it so we don't all have to turn there. It uh, gives you a chance for you to participate. So here's a few verses. Romans 8.29. Who will read Romans 8.29? Take it quickly. Thank you, Leon. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15.49. 1 Corinthians 15.49. Thank you, Matt. And Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. Philippians 3. Thank you, Dale. Let's just take those verses. We could look at a lot more. But here is a few verses that talk about a little bit about what this is like. So let's start with Romans 8.29. So, God knew you before you were ever born. Matter of fact, gives us the idea in the Scriptures that God knew us before He created the world. And His plan for us is that we would bear the image of the Lord Jesus. Now, there one way to bear an image is that of a coin. You know, there's a mint. Is it in, still in Philadelphia? It's where it used to be, a mint in Philadelphia where they make coins. But there's two dye that come together on a piece of metal. Boom! And the, the coin looks exactly the opposite of the impression that's in the molds. Forcing the image on. That's not exactly how God works. God doesn't force his image on us. But he transforms us, the Bible says. And so it's something that happens from the inside out. And so that he works on who we are inside here until we become starting to look like him on the outside. Did you ever hear that saying that that owners and their dogs tend to look alike? Did did you ever take notice that it's kind of funny? It's almost true. It's just really weird. But that's not weird when you think about the time you spend with Jesus. That you might not have the same facial features, but you might have that same peace that shines out from your heart and it shows in your face. I remember being years ago, it just came to my mind. I was in a beeline rentals on a Monday morning to pick up a piece of equipment for work. And I don't know what I did to this day. I don't know what I did. But the guy behind the counter said to me, you must be a Christian. I said, why is that? He said, there's nobody else that could be this happy on a Monday morning. <laughs> but this is what God does. He starts to change us from the inside out until the presence of his, we start to bear His, the likeness of his presence. Okay, what's our next verse here? 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-nine. And as we have born the image of the earth, we also shall bear the image of heaven. How many of you look like your parents? You bear some resemblance to your parents? Yeah, a lot of us do have some kind of, it's like a family trait you kind of fit in. And just like you fit in your earthly family, you're going to fit into your heavenly family as well. There's something different about you. I believe you must be a Christian. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, first, uh, Philippians 3, 20 and 21 well there 's an interesting one because that 's not necessarily talking about just how we are today, but something is going to happen when Jesus comes back and i don 't understand it how all this is going to be, but you know what jesus body his resurrected body was like you know he could he could come into appear in a room when the doors were locked um, and just disappear just like that um, he could eat food like we do. And it didn't just fall on the floor. He wasn't the ghost. It was a real body. But we're going to have a body something like that. We're going to have a glorified body too. This body that we have now is meant to fit on this earth, but it's not meant to live in heaven. And so we're going to have a glorified body like Jesus when He comes. In any case, I don't understand. The, the Corinthians tells us, "I has not seen nor heard the things that the Father has prepared for those who love Him. It's It's things I can't explain because I I haven't even begun to understand it. We shall be like Him. And verse 3, it gives us the result. So we're talking about a revolutionary ideology. How is this going to change me? If I know that I am going to be like Jesus in the future, how is that going to change me? Watch what it says in verse 3. Every man that has this... what? What? Hope. Every man that has this hope, there's an interesting question for you to ask people when you run into them. What hope do you have? What hope do you have? You might find some surprising results because people don't have hope today. Every man that has this hope in him, what? So the result is going to be of this. Idea, we know we're going to be like Him. If you have that hope, if you have that anticipation, if you're looking forward to that, if that's part of your reason for living, it's going to clean up your life. I am living in the light of Christ's return. And I know when He comes back, He's taking me to be with Him. And I know that I'm going to be like Him. And so I'm going to live in expectation. And I'm going to live a holy life. This kind of an idea... He's going to change the way you live. When we live in the expectation of Christ's return and the hope that he has, we have of going to be with him, it's a purifier of our lives. Let's uh, take another one. Let's read down a little further here. Verse 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil." Whoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his sin remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. That can be some really complicated things to think about. But what what is the thing that's mentioned here that we know? Did you catch it as we're reading down through here? What is it that we know? Should I give you the verse? Let's look in verse 5. We know that... Alright, so we're going to have to try to shorten this up a little bit because I'm not going to write all that out. Let's just say, we know He was manifested to take away our sins. So... I see I'm filling this board up pretty fast, as big as it is. Um, this is not a new concept. We've talked about this in previous evenings. But it's an important thing to think about. Um, and let me just mention this real quick. I'm going to back up a little bit. How do you know this? Do you know this that because you can see it? Or do you know it because of something... In your mind that you've figured out from what you know, do you know this that we will be like him because you have seen it happen already, or because of what you've learned? That's future. Can you see? Can you see the future with your eyes? No. And so we know this because we understand with our mind the things that we have been told, the promises we have been given. What about this? How do you know that Jesus was to take manifested that he came to take away our sins? Is it because you've been told this? Or because you've actually seen what happened in history? How do you know that? Both. You know it's both. Yeah, it's both. Actually, the word is used because we've seen it. And so... This is pointing to the fact that we could observe the life of Jesus. Now, you and I were not there. But we were told by eyewitnesses what happened. How he lived a holy life that was very different from anyone else's. And when he died, he died unjustly. But he rose again. And he has said he has come to take away our sins. We know this because we can see it in the pages of history. And we can see it through the eyes of other people. And so... um, we recognize that nobody who is living in sin habitually is in right relationship with God. That's simple deduction. You know that. What is the result here? Um, the, word sin, the word sin actually means to miss the, miss the target, miss the mark. And I know some of you guys are hunters here tonight. And so you could appreciate this. I was at a convention a number of years ago helping to judge some student events. And one of the things they asked me to participate in was the archery event where young people brought their own bows and they were shooting at targets. They had a 10, 20, 30, 40, and a 50-yard target. Well, most people did pretty well with the 10-yard with the target. 20, 30 wasn't too bad. For some reason, almost nobody could hit a 40-yard target. 50-yard, um, there was a few people that could hit it. But we had a guy that came out. You know, a lot of guys were coming out with their nice compound bows. There, there was um, no crossbows allowed. But there was one young guy that came out with just a regular old longbow. How many know what a longbow is? Just like something you visualize the Indians would have had, you know? And this guy comes out with a longbow. And it's like, that guy was good. He could hit the target. And he was one of the only guys that could hit the 40-yard target. And he was like, he was shooting way up there. And the arrow came down and he got the target. You know, it's one thing to miss the target when you're trying to hit it. But there's some people in the world aren't even shooting for the target. This is what you call sin when you can't hit the target. And for a Christian sometimes we miss the target. For unbelievers sometimes they're not even shooting for it. they're shooting at something totally different. But what should be our target as a Christian? What should we be shooting for? Do we know what we're shooting for? Are we shooting to live a perfect life? Are we shooting to keep all the 10 commandments? What are you shooting for? And our goal is this, I believe. This is our goal. We're shooting to be in relationship with God. And when we shoot to be in relationship with God, it's, it's one thing to try to shoot to miss sin. I don't want to make a mistake. I want to get it right. I want to get it right. But it's another thing when we're shooting to be in right relationship with God. And that takes care of the other stuff. You understand that? So Jesus came to take away our sin. And the result is that I don't habitually live in sin. This is what he tells us. Nobody habitually lives in sin who abides in Christ. And it's very interesting in verse 8. It says the purpose statement for Jesus coming. I guess I'm going to stop writing all of this stuff down. I might write a few things down. But the purpose for Jesus coming is here in verse 8. I love it. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. This is why he became evident to us, because he's going to destroy the works of the devil. That is awesome. Because Satan came into the perfect world that God has created and ruined the first two human beings and thereby ruined the entire human race. And we live in the world that we do today, a very broken world. But the purpose that Jesus came is to undo all the works of the devil. I love it. He's defeating, he might destroy the works of the devil. The devil is destroying everything. He's messing everybody's lives up, and God is destroying that destroying work. So that means he's putting things back together the way they ought to be. That's a revolutionary idea. God came to deal with our sin. Number three, we're gonna keep moving here, is found in verse 14. So let's start reading in verse eleven. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. That we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Now, verse 14, what do we know? We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Let's stop there, even though there's more verses to read. Um, What is it that we know here in verse 14? We know... We have passed from death to life, yeah. Were you dead? Were you dead? death to God. And that means separation from God. And separation from all the good that He had for me. All of His best intents. I was separated from God. But I have moved from death to life. And that doesn't mean that I'm just breathing. That I'm moving. But it means that I'm experiencing all the best that God has for me. I'm experiencing life as God intended for me to experience it. How do we know that? What is the result of the Of experiencing that moving from death to life. Did you catch it? Is it here in this verse? Yes, it's right in there. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We We talked about that before too, didn't we? And he goes on and he expounds it on the next verses. And he said um, in verse 17, Well, verse 16 as well. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso has this world's good, and sees his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so, we know we pass from death to life, because... We have a love that's more than just something that comes out of our mouth. Oh, I love the brotherhood. No, it means when my brother or my sister is in need, that I will actually sacrifice in order to meet that need. And that can get pretty basic or it can be really broad. But that is one of the distinguishing marks of the Christian church. More than any other group in the world is what they do to care for hurting people in financial and material ways. And this is, a, this is a revolutionary idea. It changes our world. It doesn't just change us, but it changes our world. When I am willing to put my brother and my sister, my fellow human being, ahead of my own self, my own wants, and my own desires, we can make that really personal if we want to. Brent and I were having a discussion the other night about uh, somebody that most of you would know and how he was willing to put his own wishes behind the preferences of a brother in the church. That speaks some pretty large, pretty loud language. When I am willing to allow myself to abide by somebody else's preferences rather than my own preferences, we're not all willing to go that far. But I think that can be included here in what, He's speaking about. We know we've passed from death to life when our brother and sister become so valuable to us that we will make sacrifices for their good. That's impressive. That's life changing. Okay, number four. In verse 19, and hereby know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. What do we know?
1: We are of the truth.
0: And he actually talks about assuring our hearts. Do you ever have trouble with, I'm not talking about the heart that pumps your blood, but of assurance in your own being? I think it's worthwhile talking about because there are people that really struggle with assurance of salvation. And that's nothing to be afraid of. But we can have confidence. A number of years ago, I was at somebody's house and talking to them as I was servicing equipment. She, I forget the course of the conversation, but she said, I wish you would talk to my son. He really struggles with knowing and believing That God has truly forgiven him. We talk about people sometimes having a sensitive conscience, and so that perhaps I've committed the unpardonable sin. Have I gone too far? Have I done too much that God is not going to forgive me? I've asked forgiveness quite a few times. Have I burned out God's forgiveness capacity for me? Those are real questions. And some people really struggle with that. And this passage tells us something important. And it talks to us about what we did in chapter 1. Beloved, if our heart... Um, verse 20. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows all things. So if we have trouble with our conscience, we've confessed our sins, we know He's faithful and just He forgive us our sins, and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is greater than our heart. He realized sometimes there's an internal struggle. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And so we need to trust in the promises of God. It's a reassuring thing to come to God and trust in His promises. We know that we're of the truth when we're listening to what He has to say to us um, about His own promises. And then it says in verse 22, the result of this... The life changing thing of having a heart that's settled and full assurance is that we can come to God. And he says here in verse 22, we have whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Are you a beggar? Would you like to be considered a beggar? Do you feel like you're begging God for things? I really shouldn't be asking God for this thing. You know, I need to stand up. I'm an adult. I can take care of my own needs. I don't need to be a beggar. Is that a good attitude? Do you think God visualizes you as a beggar? Do you know what? Do you remember what Jesus said? Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives and in another place he says you don't have i believe that's in james you don't have because you don't ask and this is what happens when we have an assured heart that our heart is resting on the truth of god's promises that we can come to him with an open face and open heart and we can ask him for what we need and he's happy to provide that is a life changer. That is revolutionary when we realize that our Father in Heaven is just waiting for us to ask. And He has abundant resources that are never going to be exhausted. Why don't you ask? Just ask me. I would be happy to provide. You ever have somebody say to you, well, I was just waiting for you to ask. That's how God feels. Okay, time for the last one here. Verse 24 And this one is not complete in this chapter, but we're going to quit here. But it gives us one more thing here in verse 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. In other words, the person that keeps God's commandments dwells in God or in Christ. And Christ dwells in that person. And thereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he has given us. The last thing we know is what? He abides in us. us By his spirit. How do you know that somebody has the spirit of God living in them? How do you know that somebody has the Spirit of God living in them? Is it by the gifts of the Spirit? Oh, that person is a wonderful preacher. He's full of the Spirit of God. Oh, that person is such a giver. He's full of the Spirit of God. Oh, that person is a wonderful servant. Is that how you know that the Spirit of God is in somebody? I think sometimes we get confused. And we think that evidence of gifts are evidence of the Spirit of God in somebody. And that may be so. But I want to just tell you something, and it's not spelled out here in these verses. But the evidence of the Spirit of God more than spiritual gifts is the fruit of the Spirit. Does that make sense to you? More than the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the presence of God in somebody. When I am loving, when I am kind, when I am peaceful, when I have the joy of the Lord, when I am long-suffering, when I am patient, and all those things, that is the evidence of God in my life. And that is a life-changer. That is a life-changing ideology. When I give myself to God and for His Spirit to dwell within me, it is going to make me a totally different person from the inside out. So there you go some revolutionary revolutionary ideas for you change your life we know we shall be like him we know he was manifested to take away our sins we know we have changed from a death life of yeah, from death to life we know that we believe the truth our hearts are settled in God's truth and we know that he abides in us that's not the stuff that imitations are made of is it but I think it's important things for a growing church. We need to have more ideas in our head than just what you hear from newscasts or, or uh, popular ideas that you hear voiced around the community or other avenues. We need to have God's ideas. And when we have God's ideas and his principles that we operate our life by, it's going to change who we are and we'll be able to enjoy the best that God has for us. And so I'm not giving an invitation tonight, but I'm just encouraging you what you think about does matter. So we've talked about a number of things here. And so this this kind of revolves around our thought life tonight. But what we think about does matter. We need God's ideas to direct us. And so may God bless you as you focus on the things that, you know, focus on the things that are truth. Allow them to change your life. Allow them to be a part of what you participate in life. Claim God's promises. His word is faithful. Let's take a moment to pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you have given us things that we can know, both in our minds and by what we can see as real, live evidence. Thank you that you demonstrate your presence in us by your Spirit in visible ways that we can all see that you are working people's lives. I ask that you would bless this group of believers as they continue to give themselves to you and to build their lives upon the principles from your Word. I ask that you would fill their lives with joy and meaning and blessing and purpose, that we might live in ways that are effective in bringing others to You, and that You bring honor and glory to Yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank You for your attention tonight.